Hey everyone, welcome back to Hubcast. Uh, tonight we will be joined by probably, I think, someone who holds the record for most times uh, being on the podcast, uh, Tra- <laughs> Trevor Sycama. How are you doing, my friend? Doing good. It's uh, it's always good to have a title, whatever it is, including being the most reoccurring podcast guest well, here I mean, on the show. What a funny thing to say, because a man of titles, I think you really are that. Uh, Trevor, for anyone not familiar, uh, what is your exact title at the Draft Network? I am a senior NFL draft analyst at the Draft Network, as well as the Buccaneers beat reporter for PewterReport.com. So I've got two hats on at all times, like somebody living in the early 2000s. But at the same time, no hats, because he also has the best hair in any given room. At oh, any given wow. Point. See, this is why I keep coming back to this <laughs> podcast. It's this right here. Oh, man, it's good to have you on. And you know what's funny is, you know, it's always good to have you on for draft analysts and, uh, you know, a lot of different content. But this is this is one of those rare times where we get to have you on because the 49ers are going to be opening up uh, against the Bucks. So me and, of course, Kevin Molina. Kevin, how you doing? I'm pretty good. Glad to have you on and, and just kind of wanted to talk a little bit about that. Uh, real quick, though, let's just kind of – we did, you know, brush over it, but you are uh, an analyst for the Draft Network. So kind of tell the people where they can find you, what you guys have going on currently. Sure, yeah. got their um, attention. Yeah, thedraftnetwork.com. It's, uh, we're, we're covering all of college football, all of the NFL from a draft perspective. Um, we're kind of noticing that people love to talk about the draft year round. They like to watch these college football games and think, Hey, I'd love for that guy to be on my NFL team. And so we're giving people all kinds of scouting reports. We've already got over 200 players with, with full scouting reports on the site. We'll be updating those and adding to it throughout the season as college football goes on. And as we're watching games, we also have a mock draft machine that, I'm not going to lie, guys, it's uh, pretty sweet. Yeah, you oh, can basically control any team that you want. You can run through an entire NFL draft simulation. The order is going to be updating throughout the year. Uh, we're going to have prospect rankings and how the simulation changes throughout the year as guys get better or worse or stocks go up or down. And so, yeah, the draftnetwork.com, you can find all that stuff over there. It's pretty great. Awesome, man. Well, I'm glad you're I'm glad you're on and you know there's nothing left to do but just to talk football. Uh, so as you are aware, the 49ers do open up against the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. This is two teams that to me have uh, a very similar path this offseason. Uh, they've got some quarterbacks that have got a lot to prove. Uh, you know, obviously Bruce Arians is a new coach. Uh, I think Kyle Shanahan might not be considered new at this point, but I think that that freshness is still there of a guy that's mm-hmm. got stuff to prove. Uh, why don't you just kind of walk me through your offseason real quick uh, and however you'd like of kind of some storylines that you think are important, some things that you've noticed, and kind of what to expect coming into week one. Yeah, sure. So it's very different this time around. Dirk Cutter was the head coach for the Buccaneers for the last two years and where I think he was a good head coach and I think he had good aspirations – it just didn't all come to fruition. I think him being a first-time head coach really hurt him in that regard. The reason why they lost so many close games down the stretch is because they just didn't know how to close. And I don't think Dirk Cutter really knew how to close. And it's it, it's hard. You know, it, it's hard to think that a guy who's never done it before would really be super comfortable knowing what play to call or, or, or knowing the go-to move or the go-to guy or something like that. And it just seemed like Cutter came up with the short end of the stick 
all the time. And eventually, unluckiness became a pattern. And the Bucks had the top five offense, one of the top five offenses in, in the NFL over the last two years. Their defense was god-awful. Um, Mike Smith was the worst defensive coordinator in football. Coincidentally, he was also the highest paid before they fired him last year. So, total change around. They have a good young core that they like, and they didn't want to waste it. So, they got pretty lucky. Jason Light, the GM in Tampa Bay, he had a connection with Bruce Arians. Bruce Arians, who was retired at the time, came out and said, yeah, I'd coach the Bucks." And here we are now as him as the head coach of the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. And things are a lot different this time around. And you could tell from early on in training camp, the way that they emphasized physicality and uh, execution and what they wanted from guys, and even more than that, establishing a winning culture, uh, the essence of, of winning football games. You know, Arian said before, the first preseason game. It's a very common question. The media just goes, hey, what are you looking to get out of this first preseason game? He kind of smiled and looked at him. He said, to win. And, you know, he he didn't mean to win at all costs, right? I mean, he's not over here playing his starters late into the game or something. But he wants his guys to think that they're going to go into every single game and win it. And I just did not think that that attitude existed nearly enough in the old regime and so with that sense i think it's a different mindset a different focus here heading into to week one of the season they had a draft that they were really pumped up about um they got guys like dominican sue and free agency shaq barrett's gonna play a big role as well players like that and so they like the guys that they added both in the draft and free agency it's not a very deep team but there are things to like about the guys who are starting so as long as they're fully healthy this is a pretty decent Tampa Bay roster, and so here week one, we get to talk about that kind of in full fruition because nobody's really hurt. Yeah, and you know, so before we dive into that, one thing that I wanted to kind of talk to you about, because you've been in the room with the guy, and I think he's a very interesting individual, Bruce Arians. Uh, this is a man that was retired, right? Mm-hmm. And you know, I know the Bucks uh, in the last couple of years, they've had a lot of highs, they've had a lot of lows, obviously getting Jameis Winston no- number one overall, and then kind of riding that roller coaster that is Jameis Winston um, has been an interesting time. But what is it about the you know the Tampa Bay Buccaneers that got a guy like Bruce Arians to come out of retirement for? I think Jameis Winston was a big piece of that. And people kind of laughed and saying, why would you want to come out and, and coach Jameis Winston? He's been terrible kind of on, or he hasn't been terrible, but he's been so on and off. It's hard to really buy into a guy that's been this in- inconsistent, but Arian said that he took a look at James's film. He saw the things that he did well. He saw the things that he didn't do well, more importantly. And Arians was like, I can fix that. I can fix that with this guy easy. I know exactly what to tell him. Change his footwork up a little bit. Change some drills that he goes through. And and we can get a better quarterback out of James Winston. So that was a big part of why he came back. He wasn't just going to come back to any team that didn't have a quarterback. I, I really do think the only teams that Arians would have come back to was the Cleveland Browns with the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. And I'm pretty sure Bruce didn't want to live in Cleveland. So that's probably why Tampa ended up winning out. And also, too, there's there's some other factors that are involved. I brought up that connection that he had with Jason Light. They were together in Arizona. Uh, Light was a director of player personnel for the Cardinals when Bruce Arians was there as the head coach. And so they had chemistry that is long-rooted as well as it is with the rest of this experienced coaching staff. A lot of these guys, whether it's the coordinator, Todd Bowles, whether it was um, working with Byron Leftwich when he was still a player in the league, 
uh, a guy like Harold Goodwin, who's the Bucks' like co-offensive coordinator and offensive line coach. All of these guys coached with Arians, and a lot of them coached with them at the same time when when they were in Arizona. So the Buccaneers are kind of like this giant getting the band back together, like it was in Arizona back in 2013. And I think that familiarity, knowing what he's getting out of knowing what Bruce is getting out of Jason Light, out of his coaching staff, all of this, there wasn't there wasn't all this, oh, I've got to come to a team and install my the way that I work practice or or get good rapport with my GM to make sure I'm drafting the right guys. All of this was streamlined really quickly and really easily. And I think that's a big reason why he came back, as well as, hey man, this is a legacy pumper for him, right? I mean, he's a two-time coach of the year. Won it when he was when he filled in for Chuck Pagano with the Colts when Chuck Pagano had to have that leave of absence when he got that cancer, um, and then he was another coach of the year with the Arizona Cardinals in his first year there. If he turned around the Colts, and if he turned around the Arizona Cardinals, and he turns around another franchise in the Buccaneers, at that point you're talking about one of the best coaches over the last 20, 30 years. You have to not not the best. Obviously, Belichick is still there. But this is seriously a legacy pump up for him if he can have success in Tampa Bay, which would solidify him as one of the best coaches to to do it in the last time. Yeah, definitely. Trevor, how patient is he going to be with that? I mean, he's coaching in probably the toughest division in the entire league. Yeah, he's, he's dealing. Easy. Yeah, he's dealing with a quarterback that may or may not be on the roster in 2020. He's dealing with a roster that has a little bit of mix of young and old, but is primarily going to have to win based on the young group. And young groups take are notorious for taking time to develop. How patient is he going to be at his age? Yeah, I mean that's the that's kind of the question that's on everybody's mind, right? I mean, if it goes worst case scenario, what happens? Because you know, let's say the Bucks were to go five and eleven again this year. That would be three five and eleven years in a row, and that would be, I think, six out of seven years that Jason Light's been there, or five out of six, one of the two that he's been the GM that they have not that they've had like basically a top ten draft pick. You know, and so at that point, if your ownership, you're thinking about firing Light, you're thinking about getting rid of Jameis Winston, and then that whole rebuilding element which Bruce Arians did not want to come back to do, becomes reality. So I actually think that those guys, for the reason that you brought up there, Kevin, uh, is they're more safe than we think. I think that a lot of people are under the impression that Jameis Winston is closer to being on the out than he is to being signed. I think that's the exact opposite. I think that he is closer to getting that contract and this team still believing in him than anything else. They just want to see him and how he plays this year. They think that it's going to be more of him checking the box rather than him proving himself like the rest of the league kind of does. And so I'm not sure how patient he would be, but I also don't think they're thinking like that. If that makes sense, they really do think that James Wentz is going to play better. They think that Jason light's going to be there. They think that they're going to show progression this year. So I'm not exactly sure how long he'd stick around if things really hit the fan, but I really believe that they don't think that's going to happen. You know, I got to say, as a 49ers fan, there's a, lot, there's a lot of similarities in Bruce Arians coming in like Jim Harbaugh did and having uh, Alex Smith and being like, yeah, no, I can win with that. Mm-hmm. And, and, and honestly, like, I think Jameis Winston's probably had a little bit more high of highs than Alex Smith did before Harbaugh got there. 
So, you know, Bruce Arians is a guy that knows how to coach quarterbacks, and he's got a guy with some talent. I can't imagine he's too worried about it from his perspective. Yeah, I don't. I don't think. I don't think that he is. I, I think that he is just focused on making Jameis Winston the best quarterback that he could be. I don't. I don't think he's got like one foot out the door with Jameis. I really think that they're all trying to buy in, and he knows how hard it is to get a quarterback in this league. And you know, he's coached up the likes of guys like Ben Roethlisberger. He had Andrew Luck when he was in Indianapolis, and then he had Carson Palmer when he was in Arizona. So the guy knows what good quarterbacks look like, um, and he believes Jameis could be the guy for him. Is that going to be out of his a little bit out of his hands though? I mean, given the construct and you know the lack of talent, you could you could argue is in that O line. Are they going to be able to keep Jameis upright to be able to progress the way that a, a Bruce Arians court you know trained quarterback can? Yeah, the O line's a big question, right? And it starts off week one against the 49ers. That 49ers D line could end up eating the Bucks O-line's lunch all day long. Um, if they come out and play like they the Bucks, if the Bucks O-line comes out and plays like they did in the third preseason game against Cleveland, they're going to lose. They're going to lose the football game. There's I mean there's no ifs ands or buts about it. Uh, so that's got to that's got to be something that's different. They think they have a much more solid player at right guard than they've had over the last 2 years now Alex Kappa. I mean they're hoping that Donovan Smith's going to take that next step. I don't I don't I don't know if he ever will. I think this just is who he is. But Marpet and Jensen are good on the inside and DeMar Dotson he's an older player but he knows what he's doing on the right side. He'll give up a couple of things here and there, but I think he's solid as a player. So I think the pieces are there and I think this is as good as it's going to get for Tampa's O-line. And so it's just about them performing the way that they need to because as of right now they haven't yet. But this is the whole, hey, get to week one, get to the starting line. Let's really see what they're made of. Yeah. So, I mean, I think as far as the 49ers go, uh, we don't need to dive too far into the storyline, but it's pretty obvious. Uh, you know, last year Jimmy Garoppolo tears his ACL, uh, it ends the, the season in game three. He comes back now fully healthy with new weapons, uh, you know, an offensive line that has Mike McGlinchey in his second year and Joe Staley, mm-hmm. uh, obviously very solid. Uh, he's looking to to kind of build on that momentum he had in the first five games that were immediately ripped out from under him. Uh, this is a team that has added Nick Bosa and D Ford to to kind of go together with those Solomon Thomas, Eric Armstead, DeForest Buckner. We we all know it. We've heard it all off season. Five first round picks on the defensive line. Um, you know, as far as you're concerned and you're looking at it from a Tampa Bay Buccaneers perspective, what does it look like for the Bucs to come in, in and win this game? It, I'll tell you, the Bucs need to win this game because their schedule is brutal the rest of the year. It's bad. They have a bunch of road games. They have 49, I think, straight days where they're not playing at home, including a game in London. They're traveling over 20,000 miles this year because of the games in L.A., and they play in Seattle and Tennessee and, of course, in London. And so the the division, like Kevin was saying earlier, one of the toughest divisions in, in football no matter what, it's tough. And you look at this 49ers game, this is one of the only games where you look at and you're like, okay, they can win this game even. Of the other ones, I don't think they're going to be favored at all unless they really just start to tear it up. But if the Bucks don't win this weekend, they're legitimately staring down the barrel of going one and five to start the year because then their next opponents are at, at Carolina four days after week one, right? I mean, they play Thursday night football for week two. So they go to Carolina four days later. Carolina's got a great team. They play the Giants at home, so that should be another win. But then it's at L.A., 
at New Orleans and then in London. Boom, boom, boom. So, man, they, I think that they, they almost, you know, when you talk about what's the mindset going in this game, what could it mean for this team? It can mean everything. Yeah, because if they don't pick up this win, they're going to be getting at each other's throats in a couple of weeks <laughs> going up against some top opponents. Yeah, you know, it's like it's interesting. The 49ers have a very similar path this year, it seems. Uh, a lot of travel, a week four bye, uh, obviously playing in some playing some really tough divisions and having a really tough division to play themselves. Um, Kevin, what about you? What is this in this game? What does it look like to you for the 49ers win? How do they how do they accomplish winning that game against this team? It's going to have to be a lot of ball control. I mean, we saw last year Jameis played probably his best game of the year versus these 49ers. That was obviously without, you know, the 49ers doing much in the pass rush. Coverage was obviously what it was. I think it has to be a lot of ball control. They have to take the ball out of Jameis Winston's hand. And that was going to be my question for you, Trevor. How does Tampa Bay win this game defensively? Like, you know, we talk about the lack of pass rush, but how has been – how, what, what has been the defensive progress made under Todd Bowles, and how can it counteract what a Kyle Shanahan-led offense can do? Yeah, I think that Bowles is – the most important thing is that he, he's putting guys in position to actually play the way that they want to play, right? Defense is about pressure. Vernon Hargraves talked to us about that earlier this week, and Hargraves has been a guy that was heavily criticized, but Mike Smith's system sucked, man. I mean, he was playing guys – five ten yards off the line of scrimmage he'd never blitz all it was was quarters dropping back into zone if he, he if they couldn't get pressure with four forget about it they're not going to win the game and guess what they didn't have the personnel to get pressure with four so they weren't winning many football games so vernon hargraves talked to us before about hey this todd bowles defense is actually giving them a chance and the reason why is because they're being aggressive they're going to blitz from a lot of different positions they're going to blitz from their corners they're going to blitz from their safeties they're going to blitz up the middle with the linebackers they're going to keep things really hectic for that offensive line and in coverage they're going to play some press they're going to play some quarters still but it's going to be up coverage it's going to be some bail coverage so they're giving their guys a fighting chance and i think that's the biggest difference between what they had last year and this year now the unit itself especially in the secondary very inexperienced okay they have two career interceptions amongst the entire cornerback group Okay, Vernon Hargraves has one, and it was three years ago. And Ryan Smith had another, and he's suspended, so he's not even playing in the game. <laughs> so technically it's one. Carlton Davis is going to start on the outside. Vernon Hargraves is going to start on the other. MJ Stewart's probably going to play in the middle. And that's really the big X factor of, of, of where this rubber will hit the road, if you will. The Niners have receivers that can really win in short areas, right? I mean, Pettis is a great route runner. Debo Samuel's a great route runner. And then Marquise Goodwin can win with his flash down the field or on drag routes over the middle, things like that. When it comes to defending the slot, MJ Stewart, he doesn't defend super well with his feet and his speed. What he does is he likes to get on you, be a little bit physical, rough you up a little bit at the line of scrimmage. But shoot, man, if Debo and Pettis can get by him, they can have a field day with this. And, and they're just not going to be able to stop it. And I don't, I don't know if the Bucs are going to have an answer for it at that point. So... That's a big matchup when you ask me what, what does Tampa Bay look like on defense. I think they're going to bring consistent pressure with that box in that front six or seven, whatever the number is, if they're in base or nickel. It's really about how those corners are going to fare against those San Francisco wide receivers that can do a lot of damage with quick feet, with short areas, with getting the ball into their hands pretty quickly. You know, it's it really interesting that 
I think, especially when we're talking about short yardage, middle of the field, things like that, you know, the 49ers are pretty lucky, right? We we got in the in the later rounds. We got Fred Warner from BYU, uh, middle linebacker. One of the best middle linebackers in the game. You know, led, led the team in tackles. Just an absolute beast. Uh, but you guys didn't have to wait that long to find your guys' star new linebacker. Uh, you want to talk a little bit about that guy and what he might be doing uh, as maybe an X factor on this on this defense? Yeah, Devin White, number five overall pick. Um, picking a linebacker that high, I'm not gonna lie, it's a little rich for my blood. Um, I'm, I'm, I knew Devin White was good. I like Devin White as a prospect, as a draft guy. I knew all about him. But did you think he was the better Devin? Uh, I had Devin Bush LB one. Okay, just make it sure. I had Devin Bush LB one. Uh, <laughs> so it was interesting when they played week one of the preseason. It was Steelers versus Bucks, and it was. Devin Bush and Devin White, and I think Devin White ended the game with, like, two or three tackles, and Devin Bush had, like, 12. So, <laughs> so um... Unless your like, analyst is... You're right. You're like, well, I, I know like, yeah, you know. So, but Devin... I, all that to say, Devin White's been awesome for him. He's been a better practice player than a better than a game player, I will say. He's gotten a little lost during the games, but I think those are good warm-up things for him, because in practice, he's been flying a run fills. He's been stopping the run really well. He's learning how to play coverage still still getting the feeling of what it's like playing zone with the rest of this defense. And so he's still feeling that out in terms of coverage, but the impact that Devin White's going to have uh, filling runs and also as an A-gap blitzer, really big deal. So I think that that, yes, could be an X factor there because when you pair his athleticism with that with the likes of Levante David, and also if you're ever in base package, they're throwing Dion Buchanan out there, who is a hybrid safety linebacker kind of convert guy. So there's speed amongst that linebacker group for the Buccaneers, um, whether they're playing in 3-4 or in nickel or in base, whatever they end up showing up with. And so that bodes pretty well for covering guys like George Kittle, the tight end, who's been phenomenal for the 49ers, as best you can. You know, Arians talked about, hey, it's not just one guy that stops George Kittle, but I think the Bucks have the right personnel to not at least be exposed to doing it. And I think that linebacker level is pretty solid. How has Devin White's development as, as a coverage defender gone? I mean, you just talked about it. They're probably going to have to mix and match to yeah. defend George Kittle. How is that going to work? Yeah, it's. I'll tell you, they they don't want him. They don't want him singled on George Kittle very often. Um, and I also think the big thing is that Shanahan likes to do a lot of play action stuff, right? Um, he's he's from the McVay school where they're running a lot of plays out of not a lot of formations, right? So they're trying to keep guys guessing. They're using play action a lot. And that kind of element with deception and misdirection could potentially get a guy like Devin White in trouble because this is week one of him starting in the NFL. And if he's not really studying the film, getting it down, knowing what to look for, not getting fooled, there's a chance that uh, there might be a busted coverage here and there just because that's how it's like for, for, for rookie linebackers. I think San Francisco would be smart to go after him in coverage, but... It's not like Devin's super liable. He's still got speed to go sideline to sideline and keep up with some good athletes out of the backfield and tight ends. And so athletically, he'll be okay. He just can't get fooled by going after stuff he, he really isn't seeing. So, I, you know, I think it's interesting. Um, you talked a little bit about, obviously, George Kittle. Uh, I, as a guy who broke the single season receiving yard record for a tight end, I feel like personally he's gone a little bit under the radar this year. Uh, you know, I I think if Rob Gronkowski had done that and broken that record, 
uh, people would have been a little bit louder about him. But obviously, you know, Kittle's coming in, uh, you know, a late round, fifth round pick. Um, what does it look like to defend against George Kittle? He's got his quarterback back, you know, Jimmy. Uh, obviously, he's coming into his third year now, and he's expecting to to really do as best as he can to repeat that type of success. What does defending him look like to you if you're the one calling the de- the defense? It's it's going to take more than one person, right? So it, it's it's tough because you you can't just play the same type of coverage, and, and I think that. You know, to all this point, to wrap it in a full offense thing, I think that they've got a lot of really interesting weapons out in San Francisco to make sure that no matter what, whether they are dropping out in zone or playing man, how they're handling Kittle, how they're handling a guy like Marquise Goodwin with his speed, there's going to be one-on-one favorable matchup somewhere else on the field. I brought up Pettis and Samuel as two guys who could potentially be mismatch players. And look, some teams this year are just going to go, hey, we're going to let the rest of the 49ers beat us. We're not going to let George Kittle beat us. We are going to emphasize him. We're going to have a spy on him. We're going to have a safety on him. Whether he, If he catches the ball, he's getting no yards after the catch. We're not allowing that kind of stuff. And so I'm not exactly sure how the Buccaneers are going to come out and handle him. And the big reason why is just because I haven't seen the way Todd Bowles is going to run this defense exactly. We were told in training camp and in the preseason that we're probably only seeing 20% of what they really want to run. And so... I'll just say that in order to cover him, to keep him contained, it's going to take more than one guy. It's probably going to be a lot of Levante David looking after him. That's their best coverage linebacker. If they're in man situations, it'll be a decent amount of Deion Buchanan. And then you're going to have to have safety help too. Jordan Whitehead's probably going to start for them. He's got a lot of speed to him. He'll be able to click and close if he needs to. And so it's just going to be multiple eyes that are on. That's the only way you stop a weapon like that. We're talking about George Kittle. How about on the other side? You, you got who I loved OJ Howard coming out of Alabama. I, to me, he was one of my favorite tight end prospects of the last 10 years. I completely loved him. Now he's an offense that I don't know has ever really necessarily highlighted the tight end position before. And then you still have Cameron Brake. How How is that going to work with OJ Howard going into his third year as a pro and him having – all the tools you would need to be an all pro level tight end, at least in my opinion. Yeah, it's probably the second best tight end duo in the NFL. I think Dallas Goddard and Zach Ertz, when fully healthy, is probably number one. But OJ Howard and Cam Braid are awesome, and they give you a lot of versatility. You know, Cam Braid is such a master at finding soft spots and zones, and OJ Howard is so great at beating man coverage because he's just that freakishly tall and athletic. So it's almost like a pick your poison anytime those guys are on the field. If Jameis can identify what the coverage is, he knows exactly where he's going to go with the ball. So that's having those guys is such a luxury. Um, it's just, it's a, it, people have said that Bruce Arians has never really emphasized tight ends before. And he immediately came out when people were talking about that early when he was hired as head coach. He's like, yeah, I've never had OJ Howard. So uh, of course I haven't utilized tight ends before but now i'm going to because i have him and i have cam brayton so i think that's going to be a big part of the matchup as well as the fact that Jameis winston has not thrown the ball to the sidelines well over the last couple of years his best work is over the middle and where do tight ends normally go over the middle i think that's going to be a lot of what he looks for and emphasizes especially early on in games they're going to be able to get him to throw things over the middle i think tight end play is going to get get to go into that quite a bit yeah so I mean, on your guys' side of the ball, right? Like, obviously, Bruce Arians being the kind of coach that he is, uh, the situation that you guys are in, it sounds like you guys are going to come out and really need to take some shots quick. 
obviously probably one of the weakest parts about the 49ers team currently is going to be their their you know their safeties primarily um still trying to figure out what's going to happen with jason verrett is he going to play week one if not a killer witherspoon you know obviously had a pretty bad year last year you know if anyone's not familiar they said oh we can't throw to richard sherman well let's try a witherspoon oh it works every time okay we'll just stay over here <laughs> and then this the 49er you know you talk about only having one or two interceptions over the course of three years the 49ers had two all of last year but yeah as far as the bucks are concerned what does an early start look like to you uh, what are what are some of the things you want to see? Obviously, we know Mike Evans is going to be a big piece, but how do you see them having that early success? Yeah, I think that it's going to all run through Mike Evans, like you said there. And, you know, not really encouraging for 49ers fans. Mike Evans has made Richard Sherman uh, his son the last two times that they have met. Once as the 49ers last year when they played, and then the other time when Sherman was still in Seattle. So, I actually asked Mike Evans that earlier this week and he kind of smiled and he's like, yeah, I've had, he's like, I've had some success, but like Sherman, he, he, he said Sherman's my favorite defender, like in NFL history. He's like, he's literally my favorite. And so Mike always gets up to play against Sherm. And unfortunately, like you said there, Oh, if Richard Sherman's locking the other guy down, well, if it's Mike Evans, he's probably not locking him down. So that might not, not even be a guarantee. And then if you go over to a killer Witherspoon, Chris Godwin's going to have a blast too. I mean, Chris Godwin, this is his year to come out. There's no Deshaun Jackson. Chris Godwin is wide receiver too. He's going to get a crap ton of targets. And I think that's what, you know, when you ask what is an ideal opener for the Buccaneers look like, I think it's a decent amount of run and pass. I think it's an even amount. That's probably what they'll want to start the game. You'll probably, in an ideal world, get a pass to Mike Evans, a pass to O.J. Howard, and a pass to Chris Godwin, as well as splitting carries between Peyton Barber and Ronald Jones. They're going to want to get everybody involved pretty early on. They're going to want to control the pace. I'm not so sure they're going to take a shot early on. Maybe they will. Maybe Bruce will get a little wily. And, uh, well, I guess technically it is it is uh, Byron Leftwich who's calling the plays, although they come up with the game plan together, and the first drive is usually scripted. So a little bit of it's Bruce. But I'm not sure that they, they want to open it super up early. I, I think that they're going to try to calm Jameis down a little bit, give him some easy passes, get him to his favorite targets. And I think they're methodically going – if they're going to score on their opening drive – it's going to be more like a 10, 11 play methodical drive than maybe like a four or five, hey, let's hit the home run ball kind of a drive. Yeah, that's that's honestly, that's what I'm terrified about. I think <laughs> the the most likely scenario, and especially after having to watch 16 games last year, is that the 49ers are going to have a lot of trouble in that secondary. Uh, for me personally, on the other side of that coin, I think it's going to be absolutely necessary for or you know the 49ers pass rush to get involved early on and really get their hands on Jameis. Uh, I think last year was a good example. You know, he had a lot of games um, you know where pressure really put put the skates on him and uh, there's no way the 49ers secondary is going to win on their own. So, I think that's going to have to be uh, what it looks like and then the offensive line for the Bucks is not too hot right now, right? Mhm. Yeah, I mean that's those are the two big X factors. You named them how the 49ers D-line can be effective against the Bucks O-line, and then, coincidentally, how the 49ers corners can fare against the Bucks wide receivers. That Those are the two big units going into the game. Those will, I think, how each unit there fares will tell you how the game and the final score came to be. I think that those are two really big units that you got to keep your eyes on. 
Now, I, I guess I, I'm going to ask you a question that allows you to put your draft analyst hat back on. You have the 49ers and the Buccaneers, who are two teams that in a lot of ways kind of went opposing routes in terms of building their defense. I think if I, I was doing a little bit of research before you came on, I think nine the, the Buccaneers have spent nine draft picks in the last four years on defensive backs. And the 49ers have been a team that everyone has talked about the amount of resources they put in their defensive line in this season, their pass rush. To you, to me, if you if you were in the role of a GM, what route would you take? Would you want to emphasize pass rush, or would you go the other route and emphasize, you know, the defensive backfield? And is it, in a way, kind of dependent on who you have as a coach that kind of allows you to do that? Sort of. I mean, I'm definitely more of a D-line guy. The closer you are to the football, the bigger impact you have, right? So I, I think that I, I'd be I'd be going D-line all day for for my positions of impact. PFF was kind of doing an experimental thing this, this offseason where they were talking about the importance of actually playing corner. Sometimes it's more valuable than D-line because, you know, you can avoid good D-lines, right? You can game plan around it by getting the ball out of the quarterback's hands, allowing the defensive line to not even be a factor, quick passes, uh, quick hitters, all that kinds of stuff. And a, a good D-line could almost completely be neutralized, whereas a corner, if you play him in press, if you play him in man, if you bump and run within the first five yards, that kinds of stuff you you can't avoid. You can't game plan around that. But at the same time, I think you can teach that kind of technique to a lot of different corners. I think it's a lot less likely that you could teach damn good pass rush skills. So when you find guys who can really get after the quarterback and attack a pocket, those are the most valuable players to me. I, I think that the three most valuable positions in the NFL, passer, pass protectors, pass rushers, right? So I ultimately think that the, that's the way that you got to go in the draft. It's got to be with those staple players in mind. And if you need one of those, you're picking them above every other position. But I will say that man coverage corner and a lockdown guy would probably be the fourth guy that I would name. Yeah, it's going to be a very interesting game. And, I, you know, it's funny. You always think that about week one. And obviously it, it, it rings true here. But I think really the entire season for both teams will be very much so painted with how this game ends. I think with the 49ers, uh, you know, you've got a team where they can take advantage with that pass rush and really see how dominant it could be. And on the other side of the spectrum, you know, the, the Bucks have that secondary to attack and really see what can Jameis Winston do with Bruce Arians offense. It's going to be interesting. I like both these teams. There's things to like on both sides of the ball for both teams. And and like you said, it's it's kind of almost nothing's must win in week one. But both these teams need these wins. And this would be good wins to get early on in the year. And so I'm excited like we were talking about earlier in the podcast. A lot of good storylines. Um, what each unit is going to be this year really starts to come to fruition here in week one. The Bruce Arians era. Can Jameis make the most of his final fifth year? What is Jimmy Garoppolo going to be in in what we hope is going to be a a fully healthy season with him and Kyle Shanahan? All this kinds of stuff. There's a a lot of different storylines that are at play. Very excited to see it get started in Tampa Bay this week. Definitely. Kevin, do you got anything else you want to knock around before we get out of here? Yeah, I, I did have one question, kind of overarching. If you had to predict what the Buccaneers' record is at the end of the season, I know you brought up five and eleven, and that's probably worst case scenario. But what, in your opinion, is be- best case scenario for this team? Kevin, you're killing me, man. You're killing uh, me. No, I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. I think it's going to be somewhere between six and ten and eight and eight. 
And in my prediction article with Peter Report, I said that it's going to be seven and nine. I just went with the middle ground because it really depends on how they do against their division games, right? I can look at every single division game that they play against Carolina and Atlanta and and New Orleans and think, okay, they could legitimately go 0-6. But that's not going to happen. It just doesn't happen. You, you just rarely put up a goose egg against your division. Bruce Arians so gonna, will not go 0-6 in yeah. his division. That won't right. Happen. So, like, that's – it's just – they're going to win one of those games that I, I, I think that they should lose against a team that's probably better than them. So that's why I think 7-9, and 8-8 eight and is probably what I'm looking at this year for, for this Buccaneers team. They went 5-11 and 11 last year. They should have at least been 7-9 and nine last year. But like I said, the coaching – down the stretch some of those games was just abysmal and that's why they ended up having and the kicking was terrible and the defense was terrible so a lot of those things are different you hope that they're better that's worth a couple of wins if you ask me as well as the new coaching staff that comes in so i'm gonna go you know somewhere between six and ten and eight and eight close to seven and nine eight and eight is what i would guess gotcha man well hey i i gotta say you know it's fun it's fun to talk crap it's always fun to to you know razz the other team I, I am excited that uh, both of these teams have a good chance to win. It should be some good football. And as yes. always, this is your team, so it, you know it, it adds that little extra interest in watching how the game goes. So I wish you guys nothing but complete uh, health and no injuries, and, and may the best team win. Yeah, Quan Alexander revenge game, right? The return, Quan Alexander to Tampa Bay. The you know, last we didn't even talk about that. That's a great point. Last play. Hey, it's also a Bradley Pinion revenge game because he's the punter now for Tampa Bay. Oh my gosh. So we got we got both storylines going. 49ers legend. I did not know that. See, hey. Well, you know, I gotta say it was really dope what uh what was said about Quan. Um, you know, and the guy. I think the guys, uh, the guy's hard to like or hard to dislike. So I don't think anybody over there is going to be actively rooting against him. Um. I'm I'm excited for him to be able to go out and kind of prove himself and prove his contract and prove his worth. I hope he has a great game. Yeah, so do I. Everybody likes Quan here. Quan was a fan favorite. Everybody's a big fan of him. So I think I don't think anybody. Uh, well, you know, logical fans. If you're a logical right. fan, he has any kind of like hard feelings against him. He went and I mean, even Bruce Arians. He said, "Hey, we wanted him back, but he went and got the bag. So good for him." You know, and I, I'll never fault any player for getting as much as he can, especially a guy who's coming off an ACL tear. It's crazy. So good for him. Hope he has a great game. I really do, and I, it should be a fun one, like you said. Yep. Well, uh, you know, as as we already said earlier, the Draft Network. You know, if you haven't paid attention. There's some companies out there like Bleacher Report, ESPN, Yahoo Sports that all do really great things. Uh, the Draft Network has been around for about seven seconds, and they're really already dominating a very, very significant portion of that atmosphere. So congratulations to you guys for your early success. I'm excited to see what happens next because I, you know, we're in year three of the Draft Network. And it feels like it's already just a pretty dominant portion of, of you know, Twitter, uh, of, you know, just the draft analyst action. And really, obviously, just the website seems to be doing really good. I appreciate it, man. I hope that we're giving people a great experience. Uh, coming up with the, the, the mock draft machine has been a lot of fun, getting the fans involved, allowing people to, uh, you know, our, our year one motto was be the expert, right? So we, we didn't want to just... We didn't want to just do mock drafts and tell you what we thought. We wanted to give you and everybody who's a draft fan the tools to tell us what they think, you know, because that's why we love the draft. We want you guys to love the draft, too. So we have a lot of scouting reports if you ever want to learn about these guys. But we also have the tools to when you do learn about them or 
if you're bringing some new knowledge to us, be able to show it. Make a mock draft, go mock with your friends, all those kinds of stuff. So uh, it's been a lot of fun working for them, seeing this company kind of take off and being a part of it. So I appreciate the kind words about it. Hopefully, uh, hopefully your listeners enjoy it too. I mean, legit, I've seen a couple hundred 49ers fans post their mock really? drafts. Yeah, it's within like, what, you guys have had the mock draft machine up for what, a week? Uh, and, yeah, like five days or something. Yeah, it's been a crazy amount of traffic that I've seen from different fans, from different fan bases, just going off on that thing. I think you guys have a hit with that thing. Yeah, no, it's a lot of fun, man. Awesome, man. Well, you know, it won't be long before you're back on. Uh, in the meantime, man, have a great week. Uh, I know you get to see some football tomorrow. Hopefully you get to enjoy some of that free food uh, at game day while you're in that press box. Yeah, no, I definitely will be taking advantage of that. And I will see you, my friend, about a month when I head out to L.A. So very excited about that. So We're going we're gonna, to have some fun. I know, man. I, listen, just just tell them to bring all the white claws from the from the store and just bring them to your house. Just ship it right to it. Just yeah. cut out the middle, man. I'm gonna get like six uh, six coolers just to, <laughs> to hang out in the apartment since the fridge will be full. We'll figure it out. I appreciate it, man. Thanks, guys, for having me on. All right, take care, man. Thank you, guys, for listening. Appreciate it. It's good to be back. As always, if I can remind you, if you're even still here, make sure to comment. Rate, subscribe, five stars, all that. It really helps. Later, guys.